when I do think about the environment, I think about real estate and building because we build a lot of things. For instance, we just, we just built a house for ourselves that is completely carbon-free. We have uh, solar panels all over the roof. We also have geothermal heating and cooling. We're building an apartment building. It's a um, passive building as well as solar panels. It also has laminated wood that they're doing in Europe. We're the first building in all of New York to do this. We're also using blueprint power in terms of running our building so that we can have all of our tenants know what they're spending their energy on so that we're educating our tenants. So if you're paying $10 a month, you know what, why you're paying $10 a month. If you're now paying $90 a month, you know why you're paying $90 a month. These buildings will become their own electric power stations and will sell it back to the grid. We will be seriously carbon-free. And I think that's what I think about. I, and that was very important for us to build something like this. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. If you work on entrepreneurship in New York City, you know Joanne Wilson. She's big in the New York entrepreneurial world, as well as in art and travel and food. She also leads a rich, rewarding life. Just read any of her blog posts, listen to any of her podcast episodes. I know a lot of investors, angel investors, venture capitalists who live stressful lives. Joanne doesn't. You can hear the happiness, the fun, the emotional reward that she describes her life with, which I think results from her focus on people, on relationships and community. As you'll hear, the first thing she does after she invests is to support them, which I think is a critical part of leadership. Environmental work overwhelmingly focuses on science, politics, compliance, facts. I think environmental leaders could learn from Joanne. Actually, until they start focusing on people first, I think it's hard to call many of them leaders. Seeking compliance, hitting people over the head with facts, no matter how science-backed they are, or laws, no matter how well-meaning, they won't get results, nor will they be enjoyable, nor will they be fun. That's why on a personal level, I could only start trying to lead in an environmental sense when I find that reducing my waste improved my life so that I could share this joy and fun and the people side, the emotional side of things. One of the big goals of this podcast was to bring effective leadership from outside the environment into the environment. And Joanne is one of those cases. As you'll hear, she also acts very environmentally as well. So let's listen to Joanne. Hello and welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Joanne Wilson. Joanne, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for meeting me here. And, you know, it's hard for me not to comment. You and I the past bunch of times that we've run into each other have almost always been in big art environments. Yes. <laughs> and I, I kind of think of you as primarily an investor, but I don't think that's, I don't know what most people think of you, the primary way of thinking of you as maybe it's as a podcaster or an investor or uh, a blogger, uh, but we are surrounded by art in here. Yeah, we are. And I wonder, I was going to jump into this later, but I feel like when I look at your work, through the, the, the blogging, the podcasting, the investing, I feel like there's 
some people are just out to make money. Some people are out to uh, turn on industries. I feel like there's a statement coming out in what you do and what you say that's in all of it. And I'm not sure if that's an easy thing to, if I've jumped in too deep on something no, I should have built up to. that's kind of interesting. And what do you think it is? Well, you know, I heard the following statement attributed to Kurosawa about his movies, but I've heard it since then from others. But someone said to him about one of his movies, that's an amazing movie, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, it means the movie. If I could say it in words, I would have said it in words. And the movie is my statement. And that's what it is. That's great. And, yeah. And, and so I don't know if you can say it in another way. But I do feel like you're saying something. I mean, okay, let's see. I haven't tried to disentangle it all, but I see a lot of, uh, of food. I see books. I see art. I see women. I see travel. Part of it seems to be you enjoying a good life For and sure. sharing that with the world. Yep. Part of it seems to be you making the world a better place. Like as much as you love it, I'm sure you see ways it could be better. And I think you want to support people who are doing that. Yes. There's certainly things, and, and many of the investments that you've made are in my life. Mm-hmm. There's a Jack's Coffee across the street from where I live. Yep. Uh, Spoon University just did, I spoke with them a little while ago at one of their events. So a lot of it overlaps with my life. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly as an investor in New York City and as an entrepreneur in New York City, I mean, I hear your name a lot. And, and especially women entrepreneurs are like, you're a hero to many of them. And you bring other heroes of theirs out for them to learn about. Can I bring all these things together into something that's a simple statement? I feel like it's, it, uh, it brings together into Joanne Wilson. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I haven't tried to bring it all together into something. I feel like I've probably, judging by the look on your face, I think I've gotten some of the things that bring it together. Yeah, no, it's interesting concept. I mean, um, you know, Ben Leventhal once said, you know, you're the, you're the girl around town, mm-hmm. which I always liked. But, you know, which, you know, it's like companies. It's like, what's your, how can you describe your company in one sentence? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do care about female entrepreneurs. I do care about making an impact, particularly in New York. I do care about education. I do, you know, we're very philanthropic. You know, we want to make an impact in our, in our city. We want to make an impact in the world. We want to create jobs, you know, I mean, and, you know, we love life. I mean, you know, and so, you know, we're really connected to our family and we like to collect art and mostly from young artists. And so I think the theme is really supporting early stage people that have ideas and concepts that are going to change the world. I feel you said people first, before ideas, before concepts, before changing the world. It's people. Can you say more about that? Because different investors have different perspectives here. Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, there's certainly no doubt that I want to succeed financially. You know, this is all these investments aren't philanthropic. I mean, a perfect example. The other day, I was talking to my daughter about this artist that I met through a friend of mine who graduated from Columbia um, Art School maybe a couple years ago. And I went and I saw his studio in Brooklyn and I thought he was extremely talented. And the woman who took me there is in her you know, 80s. And she has been collecting art her whole life. She has an incredible eye. And I was like, well, I really want to support this guy. He's pretty amazing. He just graduated. And then he ended up getting into a very elite program in Amsterdam. And in order to pay for some of these things, he needed to sell some more work. And I bought another piece because I wanted to support his journey. And now he's coming back to New York and he's showing me some of his new work. And I was saying to my daughter, I said, you know, that in many ways is philanthropic. And she said, it is not philanthropic. It's like a startup. You are supporting his career and you're getting something for it. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't really think of it that way. But, you know, that's, that's always been important, people first. And I think that 
A lot of investors think about making money. Mm-hmm. They don't think about necessarily creating jobs and thinking about the economy and thinking about helping that founder succeed and create something that is an amazing vision. And that's more what I think about. And I really believe that if you think that way, you'll have better success and you'll feel better about yourself every day. Say that someone gets investment from you or you buy their art, you support them. You're supporting them as a person. I'm curious what it's like. Now there's a relationship that extends over time. Yeah. What's it like on your part? How's it like for the others if if you can have a sense of that? I mean, I keep in touch with you know, all the founders that I've invested in, whether they've had success or failure, there's a couple that it's like they failed and I found it extremely upsetting because I felt that it was something that should have succeeded and it was complete disaster on their end in regards to how it was managed. But at the end of the day, I'm an investor. I'm not running that company. I can't get in there and say, get out of that chair. <laughs> I'm taking this thing over. You know, that's not my role. And it's I've been squeezed out. <laughs> it's very hard, you yeah. know. I mean, and and I think it's hard to understand what your role is as an investor, particularly as an angel investor. But I've maintained those relationships. I think they're very it's very important. When we started collecting art very early, I made sure that I met all the artists. Now I haven't done that, but I like to support and watch and see where they grow. I think that that's sort of that goes under the same heading, which is um, supporting young founders. Do you have a sense of what it's like from their perspective? When So when Joanne invests in, in you, I'm sure they'll go tell their friends, but then there's also a relationship with you that begins. Yeah. I don't know what they think. I mean, I think they feel supported. I think they feel that they have access and an ear. I think they feel that I will um, be there if they need me, be it good be it or be it bad. They know that I'm totally honest and they can trust that I'm looking out for them and not coding over something that isn't real. You know, I think that, um, you know, what you see is what you get. The things that you say that you bring, support and, and access and things like that, it also reminds me of a time that you also do, You, it sounds like you tell them the things that maybe they need to hear, but other people won't tell them because it's, sure. it's difficult to say. Yes. Which I associate, to me, that means friend. Mm-hmm. Like, like friends are the people who tell you stuff that others don't tell you because they're not close enough. And when my first startup was first getting started, we bounced a check and we had a, a board of advisor guy who came in and he was very calm and direct and said what we needed to hear. And as he walked away, it felt as if he'd yelled at us, but he didn't. He said it totally calm and cool. Have you had conversations like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, but I've also had conversations where I've said to someone like, you can't dress like that. That's inappropriate dress. Like you're in the finance business, you're a finance startup, you got to dress like a finance person. Or I've said to people, you're representing the fashion business and you are not dressing appropriately. Let's get you someone to figure out how to do it. I'll take you shopping. You can't look like this. You know, I'll say the reason your product isn't selling is because you've got great technology, but the product looks like shit. I mean, I'm very honest, and I think that people appreciate it because it's nothing they probably don't know. I've had people come back to me, even with business plans that I've not invested in, that I've said, why are you raising money? Like, you're making cash. If I were you, I would do this, this, this. This is just my, you know, two cents. I've come back two years later and said, on the same thread, I just want you to know you're the only person that said that to me. And I took it to heart because I wasn't able to raise cash. And now, fast forward, we're doing $25 million a year and we're making money and I don't need to ever take anyone's money. And I was like, that's great. 
You know, so I think it's very hard for investors to be brutally honest with people on the other side of the table. And but they really want someone to say, no, this isn't for me. But I like you and I like to keep up with you. I think I don't know why they can't do that. I think of a lot of VCs as they'll give the advice, they'll be brutally honest, but in a high minded way or not sanctimonious, but they're like trying to show how much they know. And it's as much making them look good as it is helping the other person. I feel like you're putting them first. I'm totally putting them first. I mean, I was at an event the other night that I was interviewed for. Um, it was mostly in the food industry. And uh, my daughter was in the audience. And she's in, you know, she's very business-oriented. And she's in the tech world, of the food tech world. And afterwards, she said to me, you know, it was so great to hear you because you are so honest. And it's refreshing to hear someone say, this is good. This is bad. This doesn't work. Here's a story. And, you know, I don't hold back. And I, I think that it's appreciated in an area where there's a lot of white noise and a lot of mushiness. You know, you don't really know where people stand. That was so great. I loved your business. You know, definitely get back to me when you start get to hear. And then you never can hear from them again. Yeah. It's like there's nothing wrong with saying this is just not part of our thesis. I think you're great, but I don't like this business. Okay, you say honest, but a lot of times when people say honest, they say, I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm totally honest. And it's like a preface to being a jerk. And you can be honest and being a jerk and be a jerk, and you can be honest and be helpful and... Caring. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's more than honest. It's There's something else that's it's putting the other first. It's... I don't know. Can you fill in what I'm missing? I think it's caring. I think it's, you know, being respectful of your fellow man. I think it's having, I mean, the word is like, is I think about the political landscape right now. And I think about people not caring about others that haven't had as much success, financial success or education or whatever it is. It's like, we should care about our fellow man. And I feel that way in general. I feel I've been extremely lucky I have an amazing husband, an incredible family, great friends. It's just like I care about people. And I I feel like I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. And we should be respectful of our fellow man. It's like someone that can't get health care, someone that's sick, someone that doesn't have a house over their head, someone that's homeless, you know, these young kids who are like living through the homeless shelters. I mean, we should feel emotional about these people. We should want to help with these people. And to think that, you know, I'm not paying my taxes because, you know, I don't care about those people. You know, it's like they haven't done well because they're stupid. Like, that's just not okay. We're all in this together. I mean, and Fred and I have said a million times, we like paying our taxes. If we pay taxes, that means we had a good year. You know, I mean, who else is paying for the roads? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you said you're philanthropic, but what I see is a lot of investing and a lot of buying art. You could be patronizing about these things. But you're helping people help themselves. I feel like you help people help themselves. Like they come to you. People don't get to you looking for a handout. They're saying, I'm doing something successful. I want to do, you know, you can help me get to the next stage. And they, they by and large, seem to do that. There have been some that didn't work out, as you, as you mentioned. A lot of people care, and then they, they just, donate. No, and then you never see them again. But we've also done other things. I mean, you know, Fred, um, years ago, I mean, I God, I think it was over 10 years ago. I mean, there was only one computer science class in the entire New York City public school system, which is absurd. But now, you know, through CSNYC, there are computer science programs 
in pretty much every high school and junior high school all the way down to elementary in regards to curriculum being taught and teachers being taught to teach these programs. And, you know, that's something my husband started and got behind. I mean, I did mouse before that, which was, you know, creating programs that there were IT people in the school and now it's in the high school and the junior high school and lower school because everything's changed. And all those kids, 99% of them go on to higher education. And the next one was making sure that there's computer science in these programs so that these kids can learn about the future. And like you go see these kids and they're going to college and they're, you know, doing amazing well. They might not be end up in the tech world, but we're giving them the tools so that they can compete in a world that these kids aren't going to be not as successful as the kids that come from money. And that's something we really care about. I mean, because if my kids were only spending time with people that look just like them, that had as much money as they, it'd be boring. In the back of my head, I'm constantly like thinking, I wonder if I can bring this into like what ties it all together. And first was people, but now I'm thinking like community, it seems, and influencing community norms, like building up, supporting community beliefs and norms and goals that, that are, I mean, helping each other. Mm-hmm. Is there something tying it together or is it just kind of you're, you're living a life and doing what makes sense? I don't know if I've thought about tying it together. I mean, I've always been one of those people who are a very big picture thinker. Like, you know, I went and did that whole test and, you know, uh-huh. you know, what do you, what do you get at? And very good at seeing things future. I've like a very good nose for even artists or, restaurants or businesses or things that are coming down the pike. I just have a good like guttural sense. And so, you know, I think that all those things I'm I'm interested in, I'm curious about, but I also, I mean, I love life. I love enjoying all the things that I get to be able to enjoy. So then the rest of the VC world doesn't, I don't know if you're an angel investor, not I'm an angel. I'm not a VC. I don't have LPs. Thank God. I never wanted to have them. Um, I think as I as I started really making a, a name for myself in the angel business, I had plenty of people who wanted to throw cash at me, but I was just not something I wanted to ever do. I oversee our own capital and invest our own capital, and that includes real estate. But I don't want to be in bed with people that are, you know, asking me why are you doing that or why are you there or why are you doing that. So venture capitalist, I feel, well, it's primary. I mean, one of their primary responsibilities is to return money to their investors. Correct. And do you think that, how does that affect venture capitalists? I think they're all affected differently by it. I mean, I think, you know, nobody talks about that per se, right? Which is if you're a venture capitalist or you're a private equity person or whatever kind of investor you are, that you take money from outside people. Your job is to return that capital. I think some of them think, more about that on a constant basis. You know, I'm going to invest in this. I'm almost going to follow people in terms of investments that are not very forward thinkers. There's others that are like, I'm going to be a super freaking forward thinker because I believe the more forward I am, the more crazier investments I make, the chances are I'm going to have better success at returning the fund. So I think everyone thinks differently and has very different theses. Some work, some don't. And many, if you look behind the curtains of certain VCs, I think you'll see that one big company of that one particular fund paid back the whole fund plus some. If you look at other VCs, you'll look behind the curtain, you'll find out they might have invested in 20 firms in that one particular fund, but actually only two of them failed, but one just made the money back. One did one and a half times. They placed 
you know, the company that went under and they merged it to another business and they own stock in it and they made sure all the employees had jobs. And then one was like a 15 times. And so, you know, those are the kind of firms that I think are more interesting because they're not like, you know, screw all the rest. I'm going to focus on this. This is my winner. This is, I'm going to pay back the fund. I think it's the VCs that really care about the people that they're working with and the people that are working for that company. I want to try and, from the perspective of, as a, an entrepreneur and who's gotten VC funding and who, well, institutional, between institutional and, and angel. And as a professor who teaches at NYU, I teach lots, lots of students coming through. I mean, I, I really think now I teach more initiative than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship being a subset of initiative because you don't necessarily need to get that money. That's true. You don't need to even start a for-profit or even a nonprofit. Right. And there's an analogy that I use in this book that I'm writing. I want to try it on you okay. see what you think of it. Is that uh, you've seen the Westminster Dog Show on TV? Or, I love it, yeah. What do, you think of the, what do you think of it? I think it's great. I mean, I love dogs. So I think it's like fun to watch. And it's interesting. It's a very fascinating culture of people that are obsessed with these dogs that take them all the way to kind of reminds me of like Miss America pageant, mm-hmm. but it's different. It just shows like how many different slices of life are out there that make people happy in communities that they want to be part of. So one of the reason I bring it up is that I think from the perspective of looking at it, of, of like all these contests and things like pitch days and, and uh, business plan competitions and things like that, I see a lot of Westminster dog show in venture capital. And I think we've turned entrepreneurship into Westminster. That's interesting. I think we've turned it into the Oscars. I mean, Americans love awards. I mean, you think about these parents, you know, that they've got their kindergartners out there on the fields playing soccer and everyone gets an award. Even the kid that never leaves the bench and sits there on the grass picking the grass. I mean, that's absurd. That's not how the world works, right? I mean, I talked to someone a couple of years ago and everyone got a part in the play. Everyone. Like, what are you teaching these children? That doesn't make any sense to me. There is always going to be cream that rises to the top and ones that don't. And so what I think that's happened in the world of entrepreneurship is that maybe it's the long tail of um, the social network movie, but in Facebook is that everybody thinks they can be an entrepreneur. You know, it's like in your 20s or your 30s, everyone's going to be an entrepreneur. It's like everyone's going to be a doctor or everyone's going to be an accountant or there's Really great entrepreneurs have to have fabulous ideas that are fitting voids in marketplaces that are going to create businesses. That's a great entrepreneur. You know, they've filled a void. They might not be the person that takes it all the way to wherever it goes, a publicly traded company, an amazing company that does $100 million that they own. I mean, there's a million different ways to build and where these companies end up in the end. But that's a real entrepreneur. And now everyone thinks they're in it. It's almost mainstream. I think that if you went into a room of 400 people in any urban city in this country and said, how many of you have invested in a startup? Everybody would raise their hand. And the problem is everybody thinks if you put money in, it just works. They grow. They do great. And it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I've certainly got brutalized in these experiences, making me a better entrepreneur in the, in the long term. And yeah, it reminds me of something someone said a long time ago when, when co-working spaces were just coming up. They said, these co-working spaces make it so easy to get a space that was one of the barriers. It was one of the things that you had to do to get an office space, to have enough money to pay for your rent and so forth. And every barrier that goes down, you get more people through who won't be able to handle the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And some of these barriers early are useful. It sounds like something like what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that 
even now you're seeing, and I wrote about this this week, which is a seed round is in a $2.5 million round. A seed round is $750,000 to continue to prove out your model. Something happened along the way. We still have open source products so that you can build something. Are these people taking that much money because they're building a consumer product? Great. But then is that really a VC business? I think that's more of a PE business. And so everything's very blurred. Everything's changing. Everyone's creating new products for the next generations. You know, you see Sears, done. You know, it's a new zeitgeist. But you have to also be very smart about the reality of what companies trade at in the public markets so that if you're investing in something that is already overvalued, that you're investing at 10 times earnings, and in the publicly traded markets, companies in that particular vertical trade at two times earnings, you have to ask yourself the question, why is this going to be any different? You know, and I, and I think that it's inflated and it's scary and it won't continue. So now we heard glimpses of you invest in people, but you also know the back, you know, everything going on in businesses. You, you read the, the discount cash flows and you, and you compare with public markets, and things like that. Did that come through experience investing yourself and learning, the hard, learning through hard knocks? Or, I mean, you have to know these things, right? You can't just go out and say, oh, join investing people. You know, I'm going to invest in people too. Or I guess that'll, be, that'll probably be a big learning experience for people who really lose a lot of money, I would guess. Yeah. Am I seeing depth that isn't there or is that depth there? And if so, did that come through school or through experience? It's through- purely self-taught. I mean, even art, it's all self-taught. I never took an art history class in my life. I mean, I went to college and I was a retail finance major. I had to make money the minute I walked out of the door of that college. And it was like going to trade school. So all of this is really just learned and curiosity and paying attention and learning from good experiences and bad experiences. <laughs> I presume, do you know Beth Comstock? Uh-huh. She, so I was just talking to her and she, in her book, she's like, it's like a prize fighter. You just keep getting hit, but you just don't go down. Yeah. And you, it sounds like you've gotten hit a few times. Yeah. I mean, and I've gotten hit. The truth is the hits have been the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, you know, I, if you can pay attention to those hits and remember them as red flags that when they happen again, that they fly in front of your face and you're like, okay. I remember why, what happened, it, you becoming a better investor. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Okay, so now for people who are listening to this, who would like to follow in your footsteps, be that to become an investor as you are or, uh, or a podcaster or a blogger or whatever they want to do, those hits are going to be what they learn from, where they learn the most. Mm-hmm. Could you offer insight to people who haven't yet gotten hit? They, in, in principle, you want them to get hit so that they learn, but they, it's going to hurt and maybe they're tentative. What can help people either put themselves in a situation where that's going to happen, where, where if they don't, they're not going to learn, or prepare themselves for when it does happen to get through it? Because it's, it's so easy to give up at that point. Like you say, I will withstand anything. But then when it actually happens, the emotions change and everything gets all, it's very easy to say, to forget what you said. Like, I will handle anything. And yeah. then be like, yeah, any, any insight there? Any, 
Well, you know, listen, I think for years, as I started out investing, very similar to my life is leading up to that is I can fix anything. I can fix anything. I will. I can take over anything. I can make anything succeed if I just like have a brute force. And I realize, you know, you can't do that. And I think that was a great learning lesson. The other thing is I've learned is that just because you like the business, you have to look at the person. So now, you know, people come in and I think, God, this is really smart. It's unfortunate it's you because you're not capable of building this business. You're not scrappy enough. You're not tenacious enough. You're not flexible enough. You're not agile. You're not curious enough. You're not going to be a good entrepreneur. You're not a good entrepreneur. So I think that's important, you know, and I've invested in somewhere. I'm like, I like the business more than I thought the person could succeed. And I thought, you know, it's okay because it's such a great business. It doesn't work that way. It's like in sales. You can have a shitty product with an incredible team and you can do amazing. And you can have a great product, an incredible product with a shitty team and you'll fail. And so I think that can be applied to entrepreneurs as well. So a really good entrepreneur, you might not like the business. It's not, it might be exactly what you think, but there's a hole there and, you know, it is them. So I'm seeing now people that even email me. It's like, this person's amazing. She's so impressive. And I'm thinking, but this is the dumbest business. That doesn't work either, right? There has to be sort of the perfect storm there, that the business is smart and the person's amazing. So I think that's one thing. And I've learned a lot from that. Part of me wants to keep asking more questions about this business side of things. I want to switch from leadership. In my head, this has been about leadership in this area. I want to switch over to the environment part. Okay. And if you don't mind my switching. No, go ahead. When you think of the environment, what comes to mind for you? Because it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Well, what comes to mind to me is that I do believe that we are going to fix the environment and the spot that we are in now in regards to, you know, what's going on in the Arctic in terms of melting ice, what's happening with, like, the climate change. And the reason I do is because one of the greatest things about people, and particularly this country, is that the next generation always fix what the last generation fucked up. And you can go back in history and look at it. And even the beginnings of the internet, you know, that internet change, which didn't work last time. And now we see, you know, millennials, what they did. And you're seeing, going to see Generation Z will be different than the millennials and what they care about. And so I do believe that humanity will save itself. That's number one. But when I do think about the environment, I think about real estate and building because we build a lot of things. And so, for instance, we just built a house for ourselves that is completely carbon-free. We have uh, solar panels all over the roof. We also have geothermal heating and cooling, and it's incredible. We're building an apartment building. It's a uh, passive building. Um, it has, as well as uh, solar panels. It also has laminated wood that they're doing in Europe. We're the first building in all of New York to do this. And essentially, we're also using blueprint power in terms of running our buildings so that we can have all of our tenants know what they're spending their energy on so that we're educating our tenants. So if you're paying $10 a month, you know what, why you're paying $10 a month. If you're now paying $90 a month, you know why you're paying $90 a month because we're all going to become, these buildings will become their own electric power mm -hmm. stations and we'll sell it back to the grid. 
and we will be seriously carbon-free. And I think that's what I think about. I, and that was very important for us to build something like this. And this will be one of the first buildings in New York like this. And we're going to do it again and again and again because, um, like you were talking about having no trash, I think that it's important to be very smart about energy. I don't understand why we're drilling for more oil. I don't understand why we're not forcing the industry to have all electric cars. We have electric cars. All of our cars, you know, that we drive all the time are electric. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so those are the things that I think about when I think about the environment and energy. And we're participating in that. I have to comment on the the building stuff because not many people are building buildings. I was just in Houston where I was visiting a research agency and their, their building was, they were so proud. It was geothermal and it was all passive and, and solar on the roof and putting on more. And something that a lot of people look at as a pain or something that they feel is like distracting from what they really want to do becomes a source of pride and interest and looking to the future. And I feel like the people who act seem to look at what people feel should be done. The people who are acting are like, this is great. People who aren't acting are like, they're like, why are you telling me what to do? Or, you know, why are you doom and gloom and all that stuff? I feel like acting makes a big difference. We have to be proactive. And I also feel if you do it right, I mean, listen, we tried to do geothermal about eight years ago. It was ridiculously expensive. You know, now solar is cheaper than oil, gas, right? Gas. So we've made that shift. And so more people are going to be using these products because at the end of the day, it just saves them money, right? They might not be caring about the environment, but we've got to get to the point where it becomes a smart business decision to do these things. And the only way that you can do that is if you're willing to have others like us absorb those costs and prove to people, look it, after three years, we make all the money back. We are you know, our own power hub and all of our tenants don't have to pay these prices. And so I think that's just super important. You're not paying $320 a month to heat your apartment. You're paying zero. And I feel like the tenants are going to see on a monthly basis their power use I think in more real time than just a bill that comes from, I get mine from Con Ed. Yeah, it's totally real time. And do you know about this experiment? I don't know if it was on, it wasn't on purpose. There was some place in Europe, they built a bunch of houses and one group was using a lot less power than the other, even though the houses were identical. And then it turned out that, I'm, I might get some of the facts wrong, I'll have to look this up, but that one, the group that was using less power, their electric meters were in the kitchen. Yes, I read about this. Okay. And they could see every single day what they were doing and what they were using, yeah. which made a huge difference. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. And I and I was adamant that we give that to our tenants because that's, it might only be a few tenants, but eventually these tenants will go on with their lives and they'll go somewhere else and they'll have educated themselves. And hopefully when they build a house or they move into a house in the suburbs are like, you know what? We're going to spend this money. We're going to make this solar. We're going to do this and this and this because, you know, we learn from our experiences. We know how we are using energy in the world. And that awareness is not a burden. It's, I mean, for me, it's kind of fun. I like, think it's amazing. I think it's, it goes, you know, as you were saying at the beginning, how do you tie yourself back to all these things? Uh-huh. It's about educating other people and helping other people, I think. And it also, you know, helping our environment and being, you know, leaving a, a, a good thing in the world. Yeah, you didn't mention caring this time, but I think also... It, it is caring. Yeah, it's like, the, to me, the environment is, a, is an intermediary between other people. Mm-hmm. I care about animals. I care about trees too. 
something that people elevate. I care about them a lot more than I care about others and uh, other living creatures. Maybe that's a little biased in mind, but I don't mind it. And it's about people. It's about people. Yeah. And so one of the things I ask guests on the show is given what you, your environmental caring is unique. It's, it's, everyone's different. I wonder if this, would you be at your, I invite you at your option to do something to act on one of these values that one of these things that you care about that you're not already doing. And some people have something that they've thought of. Some, most people don't, but a couple of constraints or a couple, uh, something's constraining and something's unconstraining. One is that it do, you don't have to fix all the world's problems all by yourself overnight. Cause a lot of people feel like, well, if I don't do anything, if I do something, but no one else does. Well, if you then, save one life, you've saved the world, right? That. Yeah. And, uh, but it, not something already doing and something with a measurable difference, not awareness or education, uh, valuable as they are, something where, you know, you can measure the carbon or the plastic or the mercury or whatever. Would you care to do something that you're not already doing and then share the experience? I don't know about that. I mean, I really am. It, it's conscious in my mind constantly because we're, we're building these buildings, you know. And mm. so I don't know if there's anything, you know, we just, I mean, I'm drinking this today, but we just added like big glass water things in everywhere so that we're not drinking out of bottles anymore. And you know, little things that we can do with all of our lives. You know, I, I've always carried a bag in my purse mm-hmm. so that when I go to the grocery store, I don't have to take a bag and another destruction. Like little things like that make a huge impact. And um, I think that I'm doing those things. It is one of the bigger challenges when I have the guests who are less environmental have more stuff they could do. Right. And the people who are more so, it's like harder for them to find stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think even just carrying a bag around with you at all times makes a Tremendous difference. I mean, it's such a little thing, but it's a big thing. Yeah. I'm bringing this empty Tupperware because I'm going to an event later where I know there's going to be like food left over at the end that they're going to throw away. And then I have my, this is me. I don't know if I'm showing off or what. Because I know that they're going to have plasticware there. So I have to bring my own cutlery so that I don't have to get the plastic stuff. That's actually a good idea. I hate the plastic stuff. It kills me. I mean, years ago, someone sent me these brownies they were making in Vermont. And they were like, you know, try these brownies. What do you think? And with this brownies, they sent this box full of these, you know, those little like awful styrofoam things that, oh my God, they kill me. And they're just awful and they last forever. But these peanuts, he had something in there and said, these peanuts, throw them in the wash, in the sink and just put water on them and they disintegrate. The brownies weren't that good. (laughs) And I emailed the guy and I said, this is your business. I wish that every box I got had these peanuts. Like, they kept everything perfect. Nothing broke. It came beautiful. They're packing these peanuts. And then I put them in the sink, and they're gone. If my grandmother used to send, she would use popcorn. She would just throw some popcorn in there, and that was her packing peanuts. And that's really funny. That's a good one, too. But I was like, that's the business. If, every, if we could literally, like, replace all this styrofoam with this stuff— mm-hmm. I mean, that alone would be tremendous. What was the person's response? He's like, I like my brownies. I want to build oh. a brownie business. So someone out there listening to this, here's the opportunity. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was amazing stuff. And I've seen them here or there, but not at the point, not at mass. So, yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of opportunity. And I think a lot of people are working on this stuff. I really do. I'm involved in some businesses in regards to food waste, but I'm not in, involved in those kind of type businesses like the styrofoam. But... um you know, if I said I'd like to see more of those businesses, I'm sure they'd all flow into my box. But I do believe, down to my toes, that 
there are people out there working on these things that are going to make a massive impact that we will see in the years to come. So I tend to agree. And I certainly want to, like you, I want to spur them on and encourage them. I'll still nudge a little bit, but I'll persist one more time to see if, I mean, because you did mention lowering the plastic. Yeah, this is awful. the chance that that happened, like the odds that something changed, let's see, if something changed, the odds of me coming just after it are very low unless you're constantly finding new things. And if you're constantly finding new things, then there might be something, another, maybe it's not low-hanging fruit, but medium-hanging fruit. Maybe. There might be. Maybe I invest in one of those companies. I don't know. Maybe that's what I should be doing, looking for them. Yeah. Does anything come to mind? No, no. I've been really sitting back on my heels these days. I think that the entire industry is overvalued and there's a lot of replication. The industries that I would really want to invest in, mm-hmm. you really have to spend 24-7 and, and educate yourself. And I have too many other things going on in my life to just spend my time doing that right now. Okay. Well, now I can't help but ask anything, any advice, what is it? Not advance notice, but any secret inside scoop on what's coming in Joanne Wilson's life? Um, I don't know. I'm working on that. I'm definitely giving myself some space. I'm working on a bunch of real estate things right now that I'm really enjoying. And I love the podcast. I really love talking to these women entrepreneurs. I think I did three of them yesterday. You know, all completely different women with different stories that I really just have insane passion for. Um, you know, maybe it's a maternal instinct in me, whatever it is, and I want to support them. I don't necessarily want to support them financially. Uh, the financial road is extremely painful and very difficult as an angel when you can't get institutional investors to get as excited about your ideas and uh, the founders that you have supported as um, you are. And I find it just very frustrating. I think that's one thing that I, is the takeaway over the past 12 years is that, you know, when it works, it works, but when it doesn't, and I know it should work, and I know that this person is fabulous and their business is great and there's not enough capital for them, I find it frustrating. Or, you know, VCs will like, well, there's, this one's the winner in the space and, you know, that's where we've put all our money and ends up being the loser. And this other person's still out there making it work. And, and I just, that is my most frustrating thing about the industry. Um, and so... Is that the winner-take-all part or the... The, the winner-take-all, it's, it's what, what many investors see as um, the right investment. I mean, listen, that's why there's vanilla ice cream, you know? <laughs> what one person thinks is right, another person doesn't like. So that's why. So since you spoke so enthusiastically about the podcast, so Positively Joanne Wilson. Yeah, Positively Gotham Gal. I'm sorry, Positively Gotham Gal. Can you say a few words about, because I want to motivate people starting things. I like people taking initiative. Mm-hmm. And um, can you talk about getting it started? Because people listening to this are thinking about starting something. Right, right, for sure. So first of all, we had a podcast in the 90s, believe it or not, called Positively 12th, 10th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole family would get together on Sunday. We'd sit around the table. Everyone would bring the music they're listening to that week and what they did in New York this week, you know, what happened in New York and what happened in their lives. And it was fabulous. We did it from the family every week and then we, we stopped. And so fast forward, when I started, I co-founded the Women's Entrepreneur Festival My co-founder was very frustrated with the lack of women in her classes. She was a professor at ITP, which is generally 50-50. And she found that the women, there was less women in her classes that particular semester. And she's like, there's just not enough women entrepreneurs out there. And I said, yes, there is. They just, 
women network differently. Women run their businesses differently. You know, there are gender issues. And so we started this Women's Entrepreneur Festival. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to use my blog as a platform to write about women entrepreneurs every Monday. And so every Monday, and there's, you know, they're all out there, I wrote about Women Entrepreneur of the Week. And it was great. And then I sort of got to a point, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, it was the most difficult write of the week and the most time consuming. And I was like, you know, I really enjoyed the conversations and podcasts are starting to happen. You know, why don't I do a podcast? And so I talked to my daughter about it. And she's like, amazing. And then I texted Alex, who's my assistant. I was like, what do you think? She's like, oh my God, I was just talking about that with Rachel, who's her wife. And um, Rachel's my producer. And so we're like, let's do it. And so we started this podcast. And so it's, it's continuing on the theme of highlighting female founders, um, women entrepreneurs. And I like, you know, it also goes to the theme about me. I really interview most people that nobody knows, you know, that are successful in their own right, that are really interesting people, um, that maybe you'll know them in five years. But I'm not interviewing women that are, you know, already top of the food chain. So you're supporting in a different way. And having fun. I mean, I, I love it. I'm sure the listeners can hear the smile on your face and the smile yeah, on your eyes. You I love it. It's this. so much fun. And I, I, I'm inspired by those women. I mean, that's what it really is. They inspire me. They inspire me what they build. I met three women yesterday. One started a company in candles called Otherland. She was insanely inspiring. Another woman started a company around women's health care called Ask Tia. Um, and another woman runs a program at Yale that has taught women for 20 years how to be political candidates and how to run campaigns. And all three of them were so different, but it was insanely inspiring. And I'm still thinking about them today. Is it all in person or do you do it online? Too? I do it all in person. Okay. Yeah. Also, oh, it's all in it's New York women. Yeah. New no, York it's area. anyway. Yeah. I do them when I'm in LA as well. You know, I mean, so we haven't done it virtually yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will in the future, but right now I like the in-person. It sounds really exciting. It yeah. sounds like you're living a great life. Uh, you've, you've paid your dues to get there. Yeah. Anything I didn't think to ask to bring up or anything to say to, to the listeners? No, I don't think so. I don't know what my next, uh, my next, you know, thing's going to be, but I'm, I'm definitely going into another mode and I'm really kind of enjoying it. So we should all subscribe to Gotham Gal to find out. all subscribe to Gotham Gal to find out what I do next. <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave an open invitation. If you come across something and think, you know, I'm going to do something new, environmental, and I will document this with Josh. Then I'd leave you an open invitation to let me know. And because uh, I'd, I'd love to bring that on and give you a chance to share that with others and hear how you change things and how things go for you. Okay, fair enough. Otherwise, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I didn't press Joanne on taking on a new challenge. Probably that was because when I walked in to meet her before recording, she started telling me about how she was reducing plastic in her office already. Partly also because during the conversation, as you heard, she mentioned how she and her husband are building the environmentally sustainable house, as well as the buildings for others environmentally sustainably. And also because I run into her in New York and have a feeling she'll act on her environmental values anyway. So the next time that I see her, I'll ask her if she's done anything new since then. If so, or possibly if not, I'll still invite her back to see if she's willing to come back on and talk about whatever challenge she's taken on since then. feel inspired to then act go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others value means better and worse 
And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.